Thanks, Pam and the team. Morning, everybody. You might think after all that, what revelation? Seriously, what is this morning? Um, but, I, yeah, I hope that uh, what we're going to talk about in Revelation this morning might actually speak into some of what we've been sharing and you might be sitting in this morning because we know for all of us there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in each of our lives that we're carrying and that we are sitting in this morning and we want um, to come to the scriptures, not to kind of hear a, you know, a nice message that just for half an hour or 20 minutes or whatever it is kind of takes us out of that, but that actually speaks into the lives that we have and the community that we are and what it means to be apprentices, to be disciples of Jesus in every day. Let me just get myself organised. So um, even as we think about heading into this time of Sabbath and rest, this is today's the last week in this series that we've been doing now for about seven, eight weeks, has it been? Yeah, um, where we've been looking at the different parts of the Bible, the different types of literature really in the Bible, the different types of writing um, and exploring what it means to engage with them and to encounter Jesus through the scriptures. And what I've really loved about this series is, is kind of acknowledging that, you know, the goal of a person like me when I stand up the front on a Sunday morning in our gathering is not to kind of do the work <laughs> and say, well, here's how the Bible works and, you know, here's a little message and, and then that's it. It's actually to help us all engage with the scriptures ourselves, um, that we might be encouraged and inspired and challenged and invited into engaging and encountering with encountering Jesus ourselves. To do that, it's been helpful, I hope, and I found it really helpful to recognise the breadth of the scriptures, the types of writing, and therefore the types of invitations that there are for us to enter into when we engage with the Word of God and when we encounter Jesus. Uh, and so we've looked at the stories, we've looked at the prophecies, the poetry, the Gospels, the letters. Uh, I'm sure I've missed something in there. <laughs> the wisdom, um, the different types of writing. And today we come to the final type of writing that we find in the Bible and of course the final book perhaps some people might think the most challenging in some ways I actually think here's a here's a spoiler alert for you I actually think the message of Revelation is one of the most clearest and most simple in the whole Bible it's actually kind of easy what the point of Revelation is the way that that is expressed uh, is quite unfamiliar and challenging to us um, but it, so recognize it's probably less common and it's one that we're probably likely to engage with a lot less often than some of the others but it's important when we do to have some sense of how to do so. So what I want to do uh, this morning is give us kind of a, a bit of an overview of maybe some of the ways to not approach Revelation and some of the ways to approach Revelation and then have a go together at a couple of ideas that might get us engaging with this very different type of writing that invites us in a different way uh, to engage with the scriptures and in, to encounter Jesus. So I thought I'd start uh, maybe with some of the not what not to do, but there's a couple of really common problems when it comes to the book of Revelation. I think the two common things that the church throughout history has done with the book of Revelation is to either underread it or to overread it. <laughs> what I mean by that, underreading is we basically just ignore it. It's all too hard, it's too difficult, it's a bit obscure, it just comes right at the end. Let, let's just not talk about it, let's just pretend it's not there and we'll spend most of our time in the rest of the Bible uh, and maybe occasionally engage with one or two chapters of it, but the rest of it, it's all a bit too hard. And so we underread it and we say, not really sure how it works and so we'll just leave it alone. The other thing that has happened in particular circles of the church commonly is that we overread the book of Revelation and people have spent hours poring over every word and every detail and every nuance and every possible meaning. There are books written, there are thousands and thousands of words and ink spilled over all the complexities and possibilities of what everything in this book could mean. 
Uh, and the end result of that over the last 2,000 years has been a whole bunch of people who can't agree with each other, <laughs> a whole bunch of different theories, a whole bunch of different approaches. There's probably more different ways of reading the book of Revelation than there are, I would guess, any other part of the Bible. And so it becomes kind of this, this almost op, uh, two options of either ignore it or get totally obsessed with it and spend your, all your time in it. And I don't think either of those are helpful. We want to acknowledge this is part of the Word of God and let it speak to us and speak into our community. We don't want to underrate it, but nor do we want to overrate it uh, or get bogged down in it or get confused and make it more complicated than it actually is. In terms of those who overrate it, I think there's also two kind of common ways that I would suggest have been unhelpfully uh, engaged in in reading Revelation. The first one is that sometimes people read Revelation as if it is a script for the future. So it's been read as a script as this is laying out in detail what's going to happen between now and the end of the world, between the time when Jesus returns and restores all things. And it's seen as this almost detailed script. And so people will sit down and try and map out what Revelation says and how it links up with different events in history and in the world today and therefore use it to predict when and how and through whom the next thing is going to happen. Now, one of the problems with that is I could give you examples this morning of people who've done that from the 4th century, from the 8th century, from the 10th century, from the 16th century, from the 19th century, from the 20th century, from the 21st century, who've all taken Revelation and used it as a map to predict and to say, look, this is what's happening in the world, therefore this tells us when and how the end is going to come. And you know what? They've all been wrong. (laughs) Not one of them. has been able to use it to predict the future accurately. Now, that doesn't surprise me because Jesus actually says, nobody knows when he's coming back. But the other problem would be if Revelation is simply a script to predict the future, then it actually has no purpose for anyone other than that one particular person who happens to, I would suggest by coincidence, live at the right time that their prediction ends up out of all the millions of predictions being made by such chance just happens to be right. And they can say, look, I told you so. And all the rest of us say, well, what was the point of that book? And so I would suggest to you that is an over-reading of Revelation to say that it is this script that can predict what's going to happen and that will lead us down some very unhelpful paths. The other over-reading of Revelation that has been unfortunately too common in the church is treating Revelation as if it's some kind of secret code. There are actually books written about Revelation called, you know, Unlocking the Secret Code of Revelation. There are books about how Revelation, if you read it in certain ways, including, and I'm not joking on this, if you like put all the letters of the text and then like you skip to every seventh letter and then you put them on a page as a grid and you draw diagonal lines and and, and you can find words that talk about things like September 11 and talk about different wars that have happened in the history of the world. It's like this little code and if you happen to unlock it, you've cracked the secret and you know something that the rest of us haven't been able to figure out. Now, I hope that it's fairly obvious that that's not the way the scriptures work. That's not the way that God works. Throughout this whole series we've been seeing, the purpose of the scripture is that we might encounter Jesus, that we might engage with God, that he might make himself known to us. Not that there's some kind of secret barrier and we have to find the right key to unlock it. The other problem with that way of reading Revelation is actually kind of in the name. It's called Revelation. It's not a secret. It is actually revealing. It is open. It is meant to be understood. 
So the problem with revelation is not so much that it's one of these kind of things that we haven't got the right key for. It's actually understanding what it is, how it was written, to whom it was written, and how we might read it and hear it as they would have heard it. And so I think a better question to ask about the book of Revelation is simply this one. What actually is it? What is Revelation? What type of literature? What type of writing is it? And this is where we do need to do a little bit of work because there are at least three kinds of writing that kind of come together to complete the puzzle of the book of Revelation. Starting point is, Revelation is a letter. If you were here last week, Nate talked about the letters of the New Testament. If you weren't, listen to the podcast. It was great. But all the things that he talked about last week also apply to the book of Revelation. It's a letter that was written to particular churches in a particular time. It's a circular letter to seven different churches. They were meant to pass it on and share it. But for each one of those churches, this is a letter that's written to them. And so we need to understand their context, the context of the person who wrote it and those who were receiving it, the situation they were speaking into. We need to be careful, like we saw last week, not to take parts out of context of that letter uh, and read them as if they're meant to do more than they're designed to do. So Revelation is firstly a letter. Secondly, Revelation is also prophecy, and we looked at the prophets quite a few weeks ago again, um, but hopefully if you remember something of that, again, context for the prophets really matters, looking at how they are not so much, you know, crystal ball predictors of the future, but there are those, they are those who are to speak God's word into their time and their place and to make him known. So it's a, a letter that we're familiar with, it's prophecy that we're somewhat familiar with and then it is this third thing that unfortunately we today in Australia in the 21st century are probably unfamiliar with, it's what's called apocalyptic literature or apocalyptic writing and that's what makes it seem so strange, unfamiliar and maybe even odd to us. But get this, it wasn't strange or unfamiliar or odd to the people to whom it was first written. Apocalyptic literature was actually quite common in first century Judaism. They had lots of examples, we actually have lots of examples today, of writing from this period of the time that works in exactly the same way the book of Revelation works. And so there's actually some really helpful ways if we, uh, if we understand that, that we might be able to put ourselves in their shoes and hear it how they would have heard it. And so just a really quick run through. It's kind of stolen from back when I used to teach New Testament at Bible College. But a few things about apocalyptic literature that might be helpful to know. The first is we've got lots of examples from around the 3rd century BC to the 3rd century AD. In that period in history, heaps of people were writing like this. It'd be like something really familiar. It'd be like picking up a type of writing, I don't know, a drama or a novel or a Netflix show that we're really familiar with in our time. They're like, oh yeah, I know how this works. I know that this is kind of kind of writing that has a big picture point but uses symbols and imagery to do so and it does, uh, and it does so for a certain reason. So we have lots of examples. There are actually some examples in the Old Testament. Now there's a little bit of debate about exactly what because it's never a full book of the Old Testament. It's chapters within a larger context of usually prophecy. But most people would suggest that there's two chapters in Ezekiel, 38 39, that the second half of the book of Daniel and that the second half of the book of Zechariah exhibit these features of apocalyptic literature. Uh, probably the parts of the Old Testament we skip over as well because either we, you know, overread them or underread them. But so we do have examples of them. The key things to know about apocalyptic literature, just four things there that I think are really helpful to set us up for what we want to do. The first is that apocalyptic, there, apocalyptic literature is always written out of oppression. It's written out of a people who find themselves in a place where other people are ruling over them and where they have to be really careful about holding the beliefs that they have. And what that means is it was written to be both covert and subversive. 
What do I mean by that? Covert basically means you want to make sure that if your writing falls into the wrong hands, you don't get yourself into trouble, right? So for example, if you're living under the big bad Roman Empire and you want to talk about how bad and big the Roman Empire is, well, you don't talk about Rome because if the Romans get their hands on your document, right, and they find out that you've been saying bad things about their empire, then you're probably going to prison. And so what the writers of the apocalypse like the book of Revelation do is they pick another name. In Revelation, they talk about Babylon, Babylon the Great, a city that hasn't existed for thousands of years. And it's very clear to those who are reading it who Babylon is. The way it's described as the great ruling power that's exploiting and oppressing us. Everybody who is in the know, and really probably the Romans could figure out it too, it's not like a secret code. Everybody knows it means Rome, but they can't put you in prison for talking bad, you know, talking smack about Babylon, right? So it's covert in that sense. It's also designed to be subversive. It's also designed to give those who have no voice the opportunity to have a voice, to speak out, to talk about the possibility of change, to have hope for the future. Right? That's the first thing. Secondly, I would say that it uses heightened imagery. That's actually pretty obvious if you've ever picked up Revelation and tried to wade your way through it, right? It uses a lot of imagery. It's designed to connect with your imagination. It's not written to give you all the kind of detailed understanding and explanation. It's written to engage your imagination, to get you to picture things. And so it uses imagery, which is what the poets do and the prophets do, but it particularly uses it in a heightened way where it is both symbolic and inventive. Again, symbolic, so it's trying to represent something other than what it is. So there's a lot of numbers in the book of Revelation, like there's seven of this and two of this and 14 of this. And so it kind of is representative or symbolic in some way. And it's often quite inventive. Another word for that would be, it's bizarre, right? You get images and you're like, I don't even, my imagination doesn't even know how to picture this. Like it's one thing for the psalmist to say, you know, you kind of engage your imagination. God's like a shepherd and you're like a sheep. And you're like, oh yes, I can picture that. A shepherd, sheep, green pastures, water. You know, it's another thing for Daniel to come along and say like, so imagine a horn that has 10 other horns growing out of it. And then it's a time and three times and a heart. And you're like, I, I, hang on, I'm back on the horn. What is a horn? And how does it, another horn grow out of, I, I, you know, it's, it's bizarre. It's unusual imagery. It's designed to be kind of overwhelming, confusing, and yet to get you to engage your imagination in a different way. Okay, third thing about apocalyptic literature, there's the role of what they call mediated revelation, which basically says that it, it has the role for angels. There's kind of this bridge between the, like, what's being spoken about, the bizarre imagery, right, the really unusual pictures and ways of describing things, and the people to whom it's being spoken. Because... They know that it's bizarre. They know that it's odd. And so there's a role for these angels, angelic figures, to kind of explain and mediate and describe what is going on. That's actually really common in Jewish apocalypses, the ones that are outside of the Bible. It's a really common way of, of talking about something that, A, they believe in. They believe that God sends his angels as messengers, right, to communicate on his behalf. And B, a way of making sure people know this isn't meant to be obscure. This isn't meant to be a secret code. You're not meant to be confused by this. The angel is actually there to reveal it to you, to open it up to you. And so, again, if you read Revelation, you'll see that John, the apostle, is having this vision and there's an angel who's actually kind of walking him through the vision and telling him what things mean. It's meant to be revealed. It's meant to be made known. And finally, linked to that kind of idea of, of understanding the role of angels, I would suggest that the, one of the big purposes of apocalyptic literature is a kind of lifting of the veil. It's actually a reflection of a core theological belief of the people of Israel and of the early church. And the church today 
and I would suggest even us if we don't talk about it very often, that there is more going on than what we can see. We actually believe in a God who is active in a spiritual realm, right? That is beyond what we can see and touch and engage with in our day-to-day lives. We believe that there is more going on in the heavenly realm than we could even begin to understand. We believe in this eternal perspective that God is at work outside time and outside space. That's a really hard thing to talk about. You need bizarre images and unusual symbols and ways of kind of engaging with that because we can't pin it down. We don't understand it. We can't explain it. We can't even fully see it. But the purpose of this kind of writing is to kind of just lift that veil for a moment and give us a glimpse and remind us, hang on, what you see is not all there is. And that's a really challenging thing that apocalyptic literature, and I think maybe one of the reasons we find it so difficult, when we live in a culture and a time and place where everything is supposed to be able to be proven to be believed in, right? We, we live in a culture that would say, no, there is nothing more. What you see is what you get. Pics or it didn't happen. Prove it to me, right? And so the church is actually standing up and saying, we believe in something quite countercultural and even subversive that there is more going on than what we see. It might look like the world is a big fat mess. It might look like there is war and there is destruction, there is conflict and there is corruption and there is exploitation. But we believe in a good God. It might look like people are just running around, you know, in control of their own lives, but we live in a God who is, we believe in a God who is reigning and ruling. It might look like, as my grandmother would say, the world is going to hell in a handbasket and everything is getting worse and things are falling apart. But we believe in a God who is working towards the restoration of all things. That's the point of this kind of literature. It's kind of lift the veil and you go, whoa, I don't understand that. That's just confusing and overwhelming. That's the point because it reminds you that there's more going on than you can see. There is more going on than you can understand. Have faith, trust God. And so... When I said before that I think the book of Revelation is actually one of the most simple to understand, I would suggest that the point of the book of Revelation is something like this. Lift the veil, be overwhelmed, be confused, be amazed because there is more going on than what you can see and therefore persevere, be faithful, continue to trust. Right? You're not going to live with the lifted veil all the time. Right? But by lifting the veil, you are reminded that there is a whole other dimension that God is at work in. And that inspires you and gives you courage and hope to persevere. And remember, this is written to people living in oppression, living in times of conflict and war and under occupation. And so the message of Revelation to them is very, very clear. From the beginning to the end of the book, Jesus says to the churches, follow me, be faithful, persevere, be encouraged. That's the point of the book, not to understand, not to be able to explain or predict the future, but to have confidence that God is at work beyond what you can see and you can trust him in that. So a couple of tips when you're reading Revelation and then we'll get into two exercises that we can try both today and ourselves. When you're reading Revelation, I would say out of all of that, four tips. Pay attention to the imagery. It's designed to engage your imagination. So you're not meant to just think, you're meant to picture and and kind of be blown away and overwhelmed. But don't get bogged down in the details. (laughs) So how do you pay attention to the imagery? Spend time on it, reflect. It's almost like that taking a deep breath. It's like disengaging some parts of you and re-engaging other parts of you. But don't get bogged down in the details. Link to that. Number two, I would say engage your imagination. (laughs) Let your imagination run free. The writers of Revelation sure did. 
sometimes the writers of apocalyptic literature, I'm like, really, they don't even know what they're talking about either. They're trying to describe something that they don't fully understand. My favourite is Ezekiel. Ezekiel has these visions and um, in, it's in the Hebrew language and it's often translated in English and he sounds like what some people would say is like a teenage girl. Um, I think boys do it too, but girls probably do it more often is like every third word like is the word like because he's like saying like this. It's like, like he just says it's like this, it's like this. It's, because he doesn't know what he's saying. He's saying it's like a wheel, but it's like got wheels within the wheels and then those wheels have got like eyes going around on. And you're like, what are you talking about? And I think he, Ezekiel said, I don't know. I'm just trying to tell you what I'm saying. So they're meant to be overwhelmed by this kind of imagery and let your imagination run wild because the point is not to understand but to be amazed and to recognise there's more going on than I understand or can see. So that's the second tip. Engage your imagination. Be willing to let yourself be overwhelmed. Thirdly, as I've been saying, keep in mind the key purpose. The purpose of Revelation is always to encourage faithfulness and perseverance. So if we keep that in mind... Rather than trying to understand it all, say, how does this encourage me and inspire me to continue on, to be faithful and to persevere? And finally, always interpret the details in light of the big picture, which is probably an obvious thing to do in any piece of writing, but particularly true for the book of Revelation. So, out of all of that, I think there are two ways, therefore, that we can engage with the book of Revelation to encounter Jesus. And they're kind of one's a zoom in and one's a zoom out. Actually, I'll start the other way around. One's a zoom out and one's a zoom in. Because I think sometimes the, the point of engaging with Revelation is it's actually better to zoom out. To say if the purpose of this book is to lift the bale and overwhelm me and just remind me that there is so much more than going on than what I understand, then zooming out and getting that in a big picture way can be a really helpful way to engage with the book of Revelation. And so that's what I want us to do first this morning. Um, just going to briefly kind of give us an exercise where we zoom out and kind of be overwhelmed by a whole bunch of the images of the book of Revelation. And I'll, I'll jump ahead. One of the challenges in the handout for this week uh, in engaging with Revelation, one of the challenges that we've set you is this. Can you find an hour this week to listen to the entire book of Revelation? in one go. It'll take you a bit over an hour to sit down or while you're driving on a, like listening to a podcast, like just put your headphones in and listen to the whole book of Revelation. That is, I think, the best way of zooming out because you know what happens when you listen? You can't like flick back and see what was, like happened on the page before. You kind of just have to let it go <laughs> and it just overwhelms you in a good way, right? You just get all of it piling up one after another and that's how it would have been heard by the original readers it would have been read aloud to them they wouldn't have read it with their eyes they would have listened to it with their ears um, it's almost like the best analogy I think we have for Revelation today is it's like watching a movie you know when you go to watch a movie at the movies I know it's changed now we have Netflix and you can pause every single scene but when you go to the movies and you're sitting and watching the big screen you can't pause you can't go backwards right you kind of just got to let it keep going and so when you walk out of the cinema, in that moment when you walk out of the cinema after having seen the latest blockbuster on the big screen, you can't explain in detail every scene that happened. What you're left with is a big picture impression, right? That's how Revelation works. Zoom out and let the big picture impression sit with you. So that's the first way to read it. I think that's really helpful. And probably my number one way of reading Revelation is listen to the whole thing in one go. If you do nothing else, do that. Secondly, though, I think... Because Revelation is designed to engage with our imaginations, we can zoom in. We've got to be careful when we zoom in. We've got to be careful when we zoom in, we don't fall into those traps of thinking we're unlocking some secret code or finding the thing that nobody else has ever found before that will actually explain and predict exactly what's going to happen next. Park that. 
If it's designed to engage your imagination, then zooming in is on a particular image. Zoom in on a particular image and just sit with it. Reflect on it. And there's a beautiful exercise that we're going to um, give you to do, which is called Visio Divina. It's kind of uh, taken from the idea of Lectio Divina, which we've done a couple of times in this church, which is like meditating on a reading. Visio Divina is meditating on an image. It's like picking one image from the Bible and just sitting with it and just letting your imagination be sparked by it and asking questions of it and you know, reflecting on it and seeing what it is that Jesus might be saying to you from that one particular image. So there's a real zoom in, a really different way of reading Revelation. Okay, so those are the two things. I think we've probably <laughs> run out of time. What, um, what I was going to do was, was do both of those. I think maybe we've run out of time today to do both, so we might just do one. So I'm going to leave you with the real challenge, big picture, zoom out. Have a go. As I said, this is my number one tip. If you do nothing else with Revelation this week, um, sorry, Nate, giving you permission to do none of the other things on the sheet, but if you want to, go for it. (laughs) But just try and listen to the whole thing in one hit. I promise you it is a really interesting experience. And the ones that we've put on the sheet, we've given you two examples. Uh, There's two good dramatised readings. So they use, you know, it's different voices. It's not just one person reading the Bible. It's people kind of speaking the different voices of the characters. So it will engage you in a different way. Right? Um, really encourage you to have a go with that. But I want to introduce you to this idea of Visio Divina, which is to have a look at a particular image. And I'm going to ask for a couple of volunteers because we've printed out a bunch of these images. Can I have two people maybe? You can grab these. Thank you. Um, so uh, I think Ryan can really f- quickly flick through them on the screen. But basically picked ten, just look, pass them around randomly. We've picked, te- I've, well, picked ten different artworks from all different periods in history. Can I say, including one that's AI generated, just to be, you know, really contemporary. (laughs) But so going right back to kind of a couple hundred years ago, right through to to today, different people who've taken one particular image from the book of Revelation and created an artwork that reflects on that. And so what I'm going to do is give you, what you're going to do is get one of these pieces of paper and on the bottom it will give you the name of the artwork, the artist and the passage in Revelation from which this image comes. And what we're going to do to finish this part of our gathering before we head out for coffee is just to take a few minutes in silence to have a go at this idea of Visio Divina. So if we can, I've got that, thank you. Uh, So the kind of things I would encourage you to do is this. Look at the entire picture. Look at that picture in front of you. Notice the shapes, the colours, the lighting, the foreground, the background. Actually take time to look at the artwork and what the artist has chosen to put into that picture. Then, as you reflect on it, ask yourself, how is the artist reflecting the biblical text? And you might want to grab a Bible if you've got one and look up the passage if you want to make sure you know, or you might know really obviously from looking at the image or the name of the artwork, what it is. But how is the artist reflecting the biblical text? They're not reflecting all of it. They're just letting their imagination engage with one particular image. Then ask yourself, what is it that particularly draws your attention in this image? What really captures you? When you spend time with this image, what is something that stands out to you? It might be very different to the person sitting next to you, but what is it right now today about that image that captures you? And then you might ask yourself, why do you think God drew your attention to this? Why that part of the image? Why does it resonate with you? What does it evoke? What does it make you feel? What does it invite you into? What questions does it raise? How does it engage your imagination further? And then finally you ask, what is your response to God in this? Now it might just be in silence, it might just be amazed or it might be some words that form a prayer. 
But I'm going to give you another couple of minutes now with those questions remaining on the screen to just look at that image that you have in front of you and wonder. Don't try and understand it. Don't try and analyse it. Just reflect on it. And then I'll pray in a couple of minutes to finish. King Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that engages all of us, our minds, our emotions, our imaginations, our bodies, our relationships, our world, our communities, our souls, our hearts. And we thank you for this book that we don't fully understand and we could probably spend the rest of our lives trying to understand and still miss the point. But we thank you for the way that you give us these images, that you lift that veil and we see you on your throne in your majesty and glory. We see angels serving and praising you. We see destruction and evil and battle and forces of darkness. We see war and death and pain. We cry out as we recognise the impact that that spiritual battle has in our world with longing for you to intervene. And we see in this book those images of your eternal plan to restore and renew, redeem and recreate all things. 
And so I pray, even as we've spent a couple of moments this morning, that you would help us to engage with your word in all its fullness and its richness. Forgive us for the times when we overread or underread, when we neglect your word or when we try to make it something that it's not. May we engage with your word so that we might encounter you, King Jesus, so that we might see more of who you are, that you would reveal yourself to us, so that we might hear your voice speak into our pain and brokenness and confusion, speak into our world and its mess and need of you, speak into our hope that you are at work beyond what we can see, that you are bringing all things together, restoring and renewing for good, even when it feels like what we can see is only the darkness and the brokenness. Thank you so much for this opportunity today but throughout the last few weeks to engage with your word and we pray that the things we've talked about and the kind of tools and um, tips we've learned for engaging with different parts of your word might be things that continue to inspire each one of us as we read your word ourselves, uh, that might inspire us as a community as we read your word in our gospel groups, um, together in our gatherings, that we might continue to be people who are engaging and encountering you, King Jesus. Thank you. And I pray that uh, you would be at work in all that we have before us this week, that we might be overwhelmed in the good ways that are overwhelming by the amazingness of who you are and the breadth of how you're at work, but that we might not be overwhelmed by those things that we're carrying that could too easily weigh us down by that tiredness that we've mentioned, that we might find you and that you might carry that for us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.